In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, God willing, today we're going to continue um, the short series that we started last time about different lessons that we can learn from Samuel the prophet. Um, we talked about last time uh, uh, how Samuel was listening to the God's calling when God called him as a child um, and he called out his name and how Samuel listened and responded. Also, we spoke about how Samuel speaks the unpleasant truth when he was asked to tell Eli, the priest, um, essentially that God was rejecting him because he did not discipline his children. Um, and then um, finally, last time we spoke about how um, Samuel considered other people's sins to be as his own. And he wasn't blaming others, but he was uh, accepting the consequence um, for the sins of the people. And he was praying um, on behalf of all of the people um, without judging them. Um, God willing, today we're going to speak about a few more things we can learn um, from him. The first is trusting in God more than men. So um, toward the end of the life of Samuel the prophet, after having lived a long life and being faithful uh, as a prophet, and and uh, and to the people and being the leader of the people as a judge um the the people um kind of being envious of all of the other nations desired to have a king so up until now israel did not have any kings this was before the era of the kings uh what they had was judges judges were were like less formal rulers that didn't have like established government uh there was no established military there was there was, a, a, there, there, was no, there was no like permanent uh, government in place. And God would select people to be the judges for like a specific period of time to solve a problem or to protect the people. Um, and then that was it. And so Samuel was um, the, one, uh, the last of the judges, um, the, the period of judges, because the people kept asking for a king. They looked at the nations around them and they said, why is it that the other nations have kings? We want to be like them and we want to have king. So... Um, here we're going to read this passage from 1 Samuel chapter 8 um, where, where the people are, uh, are, are speaking to Samuel uh, and they're telling him that they want a king. So it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So... God, after hearing this request from the people about wanting a king, he considered it to be a rejection of him because at this point, God was the king, right? God is the one who told them when to go to war. God is the one who told them how to even like the war strategies that they should have. God, God was like in place of any earthly king that they could have had. But again, the people wanting to be like the other nations demanded to have a king for themselves. So in, in two ways, Samuel felt rejected because he was, at this point, the, 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 the ruler or the leader, the human leader at the time. And so by them coming and saying, give us a king, it's kind of like a rejection of him personally. Um, and, and that's why God came and says what? Heed the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. And so it is also a rejection of God. So Samuel, um, trusting in God, knew 
that if he were to give the people what they wanted, then it actually would not be for their benefit. And um, we're not going to read it, but um, God goes on to tell the people, if you uh, appoint a king or if I appoint a king for you, um, the king is going to essentially oppress you. He's going to demand that you serve in the army. He's going to make you pay taxes. He's going to force you to work and to give of your, of, your, of your food, of your money, of all these things. And so he's saying, are you sure you want a king? He's going to demand all these things from you. And then in the end, the people say, yes, we, we still want the king. So one of the things that, that we learn here is that Samuel trusted in God more than in himself or what he what what the people believed he thought the people thought that the that the king would be a benefit to them but god was saying no it's not um so his security was in god because the people felt insecure with the idea that they didn't have an established government and they didn't have an established king when they would go to war the the, the people wanted there to be like a, a military leader someone that they would look to as being someone they could trust, someone who's going to plan, someone who's going to send the army, they would feel more secure in that. They didn't feel secure in God because God to them was invisible. We see the same thing play out whenever uh, the people would take the Ark of the Covenant to the wars. Um, the other nations, they had uh, idols, the idols of their gods, that they would bring them with them to the war. Um, and the Israelites didn't have anything like that, right? They had God who was invisible, whom they couldn't see. And so they wanted to bring something with them to the war, and they would bring Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant wasn't made to be taken this way, to be used in the war. And actually, at one point, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines. So the, the people struggled with this idea of feeling secu the security and the presence of God with them was, was, as being sufficient. And so they always looked to something physical to, to bring them security, whether it be the Ark of the Covenant, whether it be a physical king. Um, they, they wanted more than just believing that God was present. And so this is something we can learn from Samuel. Samuel, of course, was very secure. He didn't, he wasn't afraid and he didn't have any concern that there was no king uh, in Israel and, and he was fine um, with the way that things were. And so we can look at some ways that maybe we trust maybe in God more than man or maybe we trust in man more than God, like when it comes to our finances or our health, our relationships, our work, social status. Um, do we feel like we are placing our security in these things or we're placing our security more in God that even if we lose some of these things, even if we do not attain some of these things, that we still feel like the presence of God is sufficient for us? Do we feel that God is our king or not? So that's another thing we learn from Samuel is, is how we continue to trust in God even when everyone around him um, was seeking something else for their security. Also, um, having felt rejected, by the people after having served them for many years, um, we learn also from Samuel to pray for those who reject us or for those who hate us. Um, in chapter 12, it says, Moreover, as for me, so this is after the, he is rejected by the people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. So, Again, maybe if we were in the position of Samuel, um, if we had been a leader of a group of people for a long time and the people just came to us rejecting us, um, not considering or remembering any of the good that we have done, but only focusing on that they want someone better, right? Maybe we would feel rejected in this way um, and it would cause us to despise those people, to hate them or to not wish good to them. But um, Samuel says, 
far be it from me that I would cease to pray for you. Even though you reject me, even though you don't want me to be your leader anymore, um, I will not reject you, but I will still do good. And Samuel did continue to do good for the people for the rest of his life, even though he was removed from his position of leadership uh, when Saul became the king of Israel. Um, so this is another important lesson that we learn from him. How, do is, how is it we continue to show love uh, to those people who reject us? Um, when we get offended, uh, when we're rejected, because our identities are not completely built on God. Maybe, maybe the reason that Samuel was able to, to remain unoffended in the way that he was is because he didn't consider his identity was based on what the people thought of him. You know, when we, when we believe that who we are is based on what other people think of us, then it's easy for us to feel rejected or offended um, whenever someone mistreats us, right? Because we feel like we deserve better um, or, we are, or our, our self-image is disturbed because the way that other people treat us maybe is, is, not, is not good. Um, but if I have a, a good self-esteem, if I have a good self-image and that my image is built on God only, then even if I am rejected, then this doesn't cause me to waver. It doesn't cause me to, to change. It doesn't cause me to, um, to change how I view myself um, or to have Ill, Ill, Ill thoughts or ill feelings toward those people. Do we have a constant desire for validation from others? Do we feel like we want other people always to be the one propping up our emotions, making us feel good about ourselves, um, unless I hear positive words of affirmation all the time, unless um, I'm treated well all the time, then my, you know, my, my emotional state is disturbed? Um, uh, are we always wanting to prove that we are right or always prove that we are good in some way? Um, or am I sufficient and contented in myself um, for, for who that I am? Um, we should trust in God's judgment and allowing us to be rejected also. Meaning, is it possible that the times that we experience rejection, um, it's actually allowed by God for a good purpose? You know, when, when David was being insulted, David, David, there was a time in David's life where he was on the run because his son Absalom had taken the kingdom from him. Uh, and so he, was, he had left his palace and he was on the run because there were people who were trying to kill him. And so at one point in time, so it was a low point in David's life. Uh, but at one point in time, David and some of his men, they, they met this man whose name was Shimi, And Shimi was cursing David, right? And so when David's men uh, saw that, that David was being cursed, their first reaction is they were going to go kill the man who was cursing the king. Um, but David told him, no, don't, uh, don't kill him. Maybe God wants me to be cursed. Maybe God wants me to hear these words, right? And so we can, you know, maybe this is a high spiritual level for us, but to consider that even the times when we are mistreated by other people or when we are rejected by other people, that maybe God is allowing this to teach us humility. Maybe God is, is preparing us for something and we need to be humble in order to receive it. Um, really, the because we can't control other people, you know, we spend so much time trying to control other people, trying to control what they do and what they say and figuring out how to control them, how to change them. Um, but actually the only one we can control is ourselves, to change myself so that I am not affected by w how other people are, right? So in this case, King David, uh, maybe he couldn't control this man who was cursing him, but in himself he was at peace, right? So if I'm at peace, even if people around me are cursing and rejecting me, then I will always be at peace. Um, but if instead my goal is, well, no, because I am, I feel rejected and it hurts me, then I have to stop everyone who, from rejecting me. I have to prove to everyone that I am 
worthy and good and and if anyone harms me in any way then i have to punish them right then we will always be s doing this right but the person who is content and the person who is satisfied with who they are and doesn't need to change anyone is actually far better because they are always content and always at peace and samuel had sincere love for those who rejected him right so um even he he wanted their success he wanted them to be successful to be to pray for them even though they um they rejected him another thing that we learn from samuel is um maybe we are not the best choice right maybe we are not the best choice maybe there are people who are better than us it's very difficult sometimes to step down from a position or a role in order for someone else to take that role um but maybe there are times when i am not the best choice maybe my situation has changed um and i'm no, no longer able to do something that i used to be able to do and it's time for me to step down there are sometimes people who are so protective over their position um and their status that they will not allow anyone to 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 share it with them or to take it from them maybe we all have had experiences at work where people who try to keep information to themselves so that so that no one would know it to protect their job security right instead of being you know thinking what is the best thing for the organization and sharing knowledge instead they're thinking well no i i don't want other people to know this because then i become less important or i have less power so um maybe maybe we aren't always the best maybe there is situations where we are called to share that with other people um also we learn to deal with losing and failure um again when we go through some kind of failure in our life it's difficult it's it's uh, it's sad it's a disappointment but again we learn something from it how do we deal with the fact that we're not always going to be successful we're not always going to win what does god want to teach us during times of failure and avoiding self pity because self pity will make us just kind of like shut the world out uh and only be focusing on ourselves and focusing on how we are a victim and how we are so upset and sad and angry at the world around us and how we deserve better and how well, how could this happen to me instead of learning positive lessons that we could and instead of seeing that there is hope and there is still a chance for good uh in my life and and maybe even better and that maybe god is doing this for a good reason instead self pity lets us to focus only on what we have lost um and and makes it very difficult to overcome it um a great example of this is joseph right joseph was rejected so much and he was rejected by the people who were the closest to him like his brothers if anyone were to have felt self pity if anyone were to have felt like really great grieving and sadness um because of a kind of rejection it's him they his brothers threw him in a well and sold him as a slave you know i think maybe none of us have experienced something like that uh and and yet when the time came though he remained in prison for a very long time and as a slave um when the time came for his brothers to come and ask him for help when when he was the ruler of egypt and he was deciding to give the bread and food out to the people during a time of famine and his brothers came not recognizing joseph and he gave them and actually he gave them even more than they asked for and he invited them to come and live in egypt and he made a special place for them to live right and 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 he showed them great love and compassion and forgiveness and at no point in time did he ever accuse them but he said what well, you intended it for evil but god intended it for good because he saw how all the actions of his brothers ended up leading him to be the ruler of egypt you intended it for evil you you intended to harm me but god intended it for good
So he avoided the self-pity by, by remi reminding himself that whatever situation he is in, he is not focusing on his hatred toward those people who rejected him, but he's focusing on the good that God is able to bring out of it and that God allowed it for a good reason. And so um, Dave, uh, Joseph was very healthy emotionally. You know, you, you can think of someone who goes through something like this. Um, they would have PTSD for the rest of their life. Um, they would they they would not have any kind of normal mental health situation um, coming out of something like this. Like they could be living debilitated and and sad and and never trusting anyone again and never having a normal life again after having gone through this. But what you see of Joseph is he is very emotionally healthy. Like like he's very he's very normal. Actually, he's better than normal, right? How was it possible that he could be such? You know, except through the grace of God who was working in him and how he was clinging to God throughout this whole experience. Instead of feeling that I'm rejected and alone, he felt, no, God is still with me. Um, and there is a purpose and a reason why all these things um, are, are happening. Um, also, we see that in order for God's plan to come about, which is for the salvation of the world, f for the for the, the, the survival of the world during a time of severe famine for many years, that Joseph would be the one to be in that place in order to manage all of the food, in order for the people to survive. Um, ultimately, the way that came about was through rejection. You know, God allowed his rejection, but he allowed it so that he could become something else. He could grow into something else. And there was no other way for him to get there except through this process. Um, God did not reveal it to Joseph from the beginning. He didn't tell him, okay, Joseph, this is what's going to happen to you, but don't be afraid because in due time, you're going to become the ruler of Egypt and, and, and this is why I'm doing it. Like, he didn't tell him anything. He just let it happen. But because Joseph was faithful, um, he remained faithful to God even in the midst of the greatest tragedy and the greatest time of grief and mourning. Um, he remained faithful. Even when he was in Potiphar's house, and he had the opportunity to have like a sexual relationship with Potiphar's wife, which for him at the time, um, considering that he was a prisoner um, and nothing else was going well in his life, like it would have been very easy for him to, um, to allow himself to do that. But even then he said, no, we cannot do this great wickedness before God. Like he didn't consider, he's considered God still to be with him and that he was still a servant of God. He never blamed God or said, God, it is your fault that you allowed my brothers to sell me a slave. It's your fault that you... Uh, you allowed them to reject me. It's your fault that you didn't defend me um, in front of Potiphar when his wife falsely accused me of something that I didn't do. How easy is it for us whenever we go through difficult times to blame God as though he is at fault, either for allowing it or for not preventing it or, or for, for doing it, whatever it is that we don't want or whatever it is that we want that God didn't give us. It's easy for us to blame God for it, right? But if you look again in the example of Joseph, he never did so. He never blamed God. Actually, he saw God as everything that was happening was according to God's will, even without knowing how or why it was his will. And so he continued being faithful. He continued to pray for, for those who rejected him. He continued to, um, to do all that was good, uh, even in the midst of all of that. The sixth thing that we learn from the life of Samuel the prophet is that wisdom and authority come from God alone. Um, when Samuel was young, it says, So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. What does it mean, let none of his words fall to the ground? 
It means that everything that Samuel said came to pass, right? Because he was the prophet. So God put like the words of wisdom in the mouth of Samuel so that whatever it is he said was the truth, right? And, and, and he, he, whatever he said was wise. Whatever he said, the people respected and it came to pass as, as he had said. He spoke with this um, authority and wisdom, right? Uh, we look at other examples of the servants of God who spoke with wisdom and authority and who spoke with courage. You know, one of the greatest examples is Elijah when he was on Mount Carmel, when he had this standoff between him and these 70 priests of Baal, these pagan priests, essentially trying to prove who is the real God. Is it Baal is the real God or is the Lord the real God? And Elijah was so confident and he was so bold in standing up against these pagan priests. And he said, well, let's see, you know, whose sacrifice is accepted. And, 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 and Elijah made this sacrifice and he poured water on it. Um, to prove that there is no way that he could fake um, the burning of this sacrifice. And he prayed and God sent fire from heaven and came and devoured the sacrifice. On the contrary, the priests of Baal, they tried to get Baal to consume their sacrifice and of course nothing happened. So he was very, Elijah was very bold and he stood up against um, all of these pagans um, declaring the truth um, because his authority came from God and he knew it, right? So this is something else that we learn from Samuel, from all the prophets, that God, when God is with us and he is speaking with authority, it is greater than the authority of the world. Sometimes we feel um, uh, intimidated by the world. We feel intimidated by the world system. We, be, we feel intimidated by the people who have power that are in the world. We feel intimidated by things that are larger than us. Uh, we learn this also in the Synexarian when we read about the martyrs who stood before emperors and they were they were offered either um, uh, enticed by various things like by a life of luxury and comfort if they would reject God, or they were threatened and told that they would be killed and tortured if they didn't reject God, um, and 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 yet they stood and they were not afraid. Um, the apostles also they stood in front of very powerful people and still did not change their their behavior their actions. They, they continued um, to, to, to preach what it is that they were preaching. And so this authority and this wisdom that comes from God allowed them to do so. Um, but sometimes we, we forsake this wisdom and this authority. We, sometimes we, we want to be just invisible and just blending into the world, not making any waves, not causing any problems, just kind of keeping our head down um, because we care more about just getting through the day or um, not losing our jobs or you know, just not offending anyone. And so we, we lose, actually, that Christian witness when the Lord says that we are the salt of the earth. The goal of the salt is to season, right? It's to change um, what is around us. It is to, to add some flavor to what is around us. And, you know, we can't be the salt of the earth if we just pretend and act like we are just like everybody. And that whatever it is that we're seeing around us, even when we are asked about it, we're afraid to even give our opinion about what, what do I think about this and that um, because we're worried of what might happen to me. So again, Samuel, Elijah, these people, they were unafraid of what would happen to them. They were unafraid of persecution. You know, I can say like, you know, maybe it's possible like if we speak up, maybe yeah, we would lose our relationship or we would lose our job, but we're not going to lose our life. Um, and yet the apostles and the prophets they were threatened, and, and many did lose their lives for speaking the truth.
And so this is another thing that we can learn um, from Samuel. Um, the last one we'll speak about today is that God uh, give it's to give God what He wants, not what we think will please Him. Um, when when God is speaking to Saul, He says, "What now? Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey." Okay, so God is told Samuel to to tell. Saul, uh, to go and destroy the Amalekites, to destroy the king, to destroy all they have, even the children, even the animals. This is what God told uh, Saul to do. What is it that Saul actually did? It says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. So God told them to destroy everything. Um, and what did they actually do? They kept the king alive, and they kept the best of the animals alive for themselves. Okay, Contrary to what God said. So Samuel then confronts Saul, and he, it says, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Saul, in his thinking, he says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He is convinced that he has done what God said. Maybe he thinks that, well, I carried out the spirit of what God said. Maybe he thinks, well, I did what was even better than what God said. Because what God said wasn't as good as what I did. God wanted to destroy everything, but it would be a shame. Why should we go? Well, let these animals go to waste? Um, we can take them, right? What, what would be the purpose of killing them all? So let's just keep them for ourselves. Surely God is not going to mind if we do so, okay? Um, so then it says, Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? So it's like Samuel hears the sheep. He's like, well, if you destroyed all of the animals, if you did what God said, how, why are all these sheep here? And the lowing of oxen, which I hear. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the pe people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So, first he says, they have brought them, for the people spared the best of the sheep. So first he tries to kind of divert the attention from himself, to say, well, the people are the ones who did this. They spared the best of the sheep. And why is it that they did so? Because we wanted to offer sacrifice. So it's actually for God, in God's benefit that we were to keep the sheep. Okay? Um, now, what does Samuel say? Now, the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in... Uh, As the Lord a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So he's saying, don't think 
that offering a sacrifice to God is pleasing to him when it is in contradiction to his own command. So there are times where we make up rules or uh, we, we do things thinking that somehow this will be pleasing to God even while we are contradicting his laws. You know, like for instance, sometimes people think that I can disobey God and this is actually God's will. Like God has put me in a position to disobey him. Right? He made the circumstances just so. He made a way for me to cheat on my taxes that was like very good. And I get to save a lot of money and no one will ever know. Well, this is God's will because he made it so easy. Right? Well, it's lying. Right? Don't, 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 don't assume, don't think that it's from God. Right? Um, there, there, there is a way for me to get something that I want, but it requires cheating. It requires lying. It requires whatever. And, and it's such like a perfect opportunity that just kind of presents itself at the right time. It's like, yeah, but it's wrong. How is this from God? A great example of this, again, with David. There was a time where David was hiding in a cave and Saul was chasing after him. And just by coincidence, it so happened that Saul came into the cave where David was hiding. And it would have been the perfect opportunity for David to kill Saul. Saul had been chasing him for a long time. The other men who were with David, they said, look, God has delivered him into your hand. Right? He brought him into the cave where you are. Like, what a great coincidence. And now you can go kill him and become king. Because we already know that Saul was rejected as being king. We already know that David was anointed to be king. And he was going to be the next king. We already know that Saul is sinning by, by chasing after David and trying to kill him. And David has every right to defend himself, right? Because he's, Saul is trying to kill him. So the people with David are like, this is the will of God. This is, this is the, the providence of God that he has made it such that you have the opportunity to kill Saul and you are in the cave with him right now. David's response was, no, far be it from me to kill the anointed of God because Saul is the anointed king. And he said, no, I will not kill him, right? What did he do? He went and he tore a piece of his robe while he was sleeping to prove to Saul that he had the opportunity to kill him, but he chose not to kill him. And actually, even that later on, he regretted and says, I shouldn't even have done that. Right. So so he is he he, he he said, you know, it would be a sin to do so. I'm not going to take something that that is a sin and attribute it to God or saying that I can offer to God or to do something that is even better than what God himself has commanded. So that's um, like a good example for us. Sacrifice do not add to God's greatness, but an atonement for sin. So how can I atone for sin by disobeying God right here in this example with Saul? How are you going to take the best of the animals and offer it to God when God told you to kill those animals, like not to offer them as sacrifice? Placing our judgments equal with God's or thinking that our ways are equal with his. Do we think that my way is better than God's way or that, or the, or that my plan is, is better? Let me help God by telling him what should, what should happen, right? Um, what did Saul gain by making the sacrifices, right? Is he, is he trying to, to gain the favor of God? Again, by doing so contrary to God's command. Um, hiding sin under a mask of god godliness and winning, like for instance, winning the lottery to give to the poor. Right? Like if I do something with a good intention, like, you know what, I want to be rich so that I can give to the poor. And I do all kinds of things to be rich. I win the lottery, I gamble, I do whatever, I end up being rich. And then so I can give it to the poor. Well, God didn't want that money. Right? Actually, the church rejects any money that is, that is offered as donation when it is gained through some kind of sinful activity. 
right? The church will not even accept it. Um, thinking that God will overlook sins we commit because of all the good things that we do, right? Sin is sin. Maybe, yes, we do a lot of good things. And yes, God will look at those th good things. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that God is going to ignore sin or, or act like it is not sin simply because we are trying to do good. Obedience with humility, even when we are asked to do, uh, obedience with humility, even what we are asked to do doesn't make any uh, sense. Wait, obedience with even when we... Oh, maybe, maybe the attitude that the people have is that it's wrong to obey out of humility even when something doesn't make sense. I'll give you an example. Like one of the priests, when he was in the 40 days in the monastery in Egypt, um, he, was, he was speaking to one of the elderly monks there, and he asked him, like, give me some advice um, of when I go back and serve. And so he was going to come back and serve in a church that already had another senior priest. And so the, the elder monk told him, um, do whatever it is that the elder priest tells you to do. If he tells you to put the pews up on end so that they're vertical, just don't even question it. Just do whatever he, that he says to do. Why? Because he wanted to teach him about humility and submission, right? And not causing conflict with the other priests. Of course, this is like an extreme example. But the idea of like um, n not, not pushing my own opinion, being willing to yield and to submit, right? Contrary to what I think is right. Maybe Saul here thought well, what makes more sense is to why should we waste these animals? Let me offer them a sacrifice. But um, that's not what God said, right? Just do whatever he was said. Um, so there is this importance of obedience whenever we are dealing with other people, especially those people in authority over us. Um, how is it we can like learn that principle of submission um, instead of just kind of pushing my own opinion? At some point, we can give our opinion, but at some point, if it's rejected, we can just follow. And, and maybe the difficulty that we have in following it is a sign of our own pride um, and more than anything else. So um, that's the seventh lesson that we can learn from the life of Samuel. That's a good stopping point for today. Does anyone have any comments or questions? Yes. Well, so if they ask us to do something that is sinful, then yes, you don't do it. Okay, but let's say they're asking you to do something that is not advisable. Okay, so for instance, when God is speaking about the authority of the government and submission to the government, he tells us to submit to the government, even regardless of what the government is. Like the government isn't necessarily godly or doing godly things or making good decisions. So there are some things that we are called to do even if it's a bad idea, right? Even if we think it's harmful. Like, for instance, if the government comes and says, you know, your tax rate is 80%. Uh, okay, uh, well, uh, I think there's some places it's like close to 50%. So I, I don't personally think that's a good idea. But if the government says so, it would be illegal not to do it. And ac according to God, the reason that we should follow it is not because if we don't follow it, we're going to go to prison, but because... It it is submission to the authority, right? When it comes to like work, for instance, again, when we go to work, we are accepting a wage for being an employee and, and, uh, and placing ourselves in a position of submission to the workplace, right? We're essentially saying, 
in exchange for the money that you're going to give me, I am available to you for you to use me in whatever capacity you want me to be used as an employee. So if my boss comes and he says, I want you to do some crazy thing, I can say, well, I don't think this is the best way. But he says, no, I want you to do it anyway. Then, yeah, we're called to follow. Because, again, like I'm, I'm receiving a wage for this. Same thing with parents. Like parents of children, right? Children, actually, in the Old Testament, it says that if children do not obey parents, then they're to be stoned. Um, so, so parents uh, have the authority over the young children, and so parents need to, children need to obey the children in whatever capacity, right? Now, of course, as the children get older and they become adults and they have more independence, the relationship that we have with parents changes. It's not like we are going to have unconditional obedience of our parents, but we still have respect to them, right? But but the idea we can still be submissive, but without there being this kind of unconditional obedience to everything that they say, we can try to incorporate what they say but but there's going to be things where as independent people we go and make our own choices we're not under their authority anymore as we were when we were children does that answer your question okay okay let's pray in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one god amen thank you o lord for this day we ask O god that you help us to learn the lessons that we can from your servants from the life of samuel the prophet and other prophets and apostles other people O lord who pleased you and served you O lord to the very end even in giving their life we thank you O lord for the opportunity to serve you and to follow you fill us O lord with your grace and grant us to know you more and more each day through the prayers of saint mary archangel michael saint paul saint mark and all your saints here's as we pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.